Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today, the week after Easter. He's still very much alive, isn't he? Amen. We're, we're here today, every Sunday. We're celebrating his resurrection. Man, you know, you saw the video just a moment ago about last week. I just want to add to that a little more again. We had 4,215 in our four services uh, last week. I'll be honest with you, folks, you know, for COVID-type things, I kind of wondered if we'd ever reach a number like that again. And you add that to what's going on in our world today, I, th- I think that's just real exciting. And remember, behind a number, we don't celebrate numbers, we, we, re- we celebrate the people behind those numbers. That's people. That's an opportunity of, of people we can pray with and pray for, people we can minister to and minister with, people we can gather and worship. I always look at our Easter number as what is our actual opportunity. Many of those people, not all of them, but many of them would say the Heights is their church. And boy, I want, I want to reach every one of them. I want every single one to be a part of who God is and all that he's doing here uh, in the life of the Heights. Uh, you know, another number, we, uh, you saw the invitation last week, 18 people came forward last Sunday to profess faith. I think... I think one or two, at least somebody came forward in every service. That's obviously very exciting. You know, what we don't see, and we do get excited about what we see, the week before Palm Sunday, uh, regular attendance, not 4,200 people, regular attendance, we had 13 people come forward. I mean, they went out to the desk, but 13 people. So the last two Sundays, we've seen 31 people uh, become a part of our church family. 22, 23 of those were by profession of faith and to, and to follow in baptism. So uh, we saw 11 today, but we've got a lot more baptisms to see here uh, in, in the coming weeks ahead. So that's exciting. And then, of course, the, the video pointed out all the people that made that possible. It really, you know, I'm humbled by it. I, I don't know about y'all. Uh, you know, it's 400. Obviously, a big group of that 400 is our choir and orchestra who I'm grateful every Sunday what they give to us, aren't you? Uh, What you don't see in that, uh, you know, we see them up here just for a few moments. Uh, But I saw them last week. They they got here at 3 o'clock on Saturday. They probably got home about 8 o'clock. They were back here Sunday morning before 8 o'clock, and we're here till about lunchtime. You know, when you think of all the things we want to do on a holiday weekend and family in, boy, it's real hard to do that. And uh, they really gave a lot so that we could reach 4,200. And, and then when I say they, the choir, the orchestra, many of the people on our prayer team, our, our children's team, our parking lot, greeters, they were all serving multiple services and, and many of them both days. And it, I just find that humbling to think I get to serve along Christ with these people and uh, have such a, a reach out into our community. So thank you uh, for all of you who did that. So we're back today. Uh, we're on to the next Sunday, and today's starting a series in Genesis. What a profound and important book, answering big questions. Who am I? Where, where am I? Why am I? Hey, why is everything broke around here? Is there something beyond all this? Is there a God 
You know, these are big questions. As a matter of fact, a lot of times, who am I? Is there a God? We would treat these questions as kind of very big, complex. We, we refer to them as philosophical. And man, there, you know what? There's no doubt. There's some deepness, some complexity to those kinds of questions. But there's also some simpleness. There's a real simplicity, a real straightforward way to answer these questions. I think Genesis is what helps us to do that. Genesis, laying these foundations, starting points, a beginning. Man, think of some of the incredible things we're going to see in Genesis. We're going to see God, light, male, female, a tree, a murder, a tower, a flood, a people. All these things. And when we see these things, folks, we're going to see things for our life today. May have happened way back when, but we're going to see things for right here and right now in our lives. I, I, could, I, I think I could take a challenge from anybody. Show me a problem, an individual, a home, a nation. Show me a problem, and I'll draw a direct line straight back to Genesis, whereas an individual, a family... A nation we've walked away from a starting block gave us, God gave us. We've walked away from a foundation, a truth that Genesis gave us. It's that big. It's that profound what we're going to see. But don't think it's complex and difficult to understand. Real, I think, simple and straightforward. So that's why I say, hey, I think maybe the way forward, let's go back to the beginning. Remind ourselves of that foundation that, that God has laid. I will be treating Genesis like a history book. No, not your sophomore world history book. You know, you think about your normal world history book. What has it got in it? Well, the, I, I think the goal would be all the major events, people, all the major dates that we need to understand world history or Virginia history. And no, Genesis is not giving us all the major events, dates, and people. That's not its goal. Its goal is to select very key events that help you and I answer questions like what and why so that we can navigate right now. Let's look at a, a list of major things, key events that God gives us the history on, the what and the why on. You see a list here, the beginning of, now the first one's pretty big, right? The universe, we got the beginning of that, but then it gives us the beginning of humanity, the Sabbath, marriage, sin and brokenness, the family, civilization, government, nations, Israel. Yes, in those things right there, are things that you're going to need. Even some of those, well, I don't, nations, I don't need that. Uh, you'll be surprised. Uh, it's, it's all there. You know, when I look at that list, the one that stands out to me, the Sabbath. And, and the reason that stands out to me is it doesn't seem as big as the other things, right? I mean, it seems kind of a small thing. You know, hey, go to church on Sunday. Can't do this. That's not really what that's about right there. And I think actually it might be bigger than we think or see. You know, I just said a moment ago, take any problem and I'll trace it back to something we've walked away from in Genesis. Man, think about how much we talk today. And it's not new today. We just talk about it so much more, mental health. And I would say, folks, mental health, spiritual health, physical health, relational health is all directly tied to a rhythm of life that God gave us. You know, the, the Sabbath is not a religious statement. 
It's going to become one later, but that's something God gave to all of humanity. That, that's a part of the creation order, and we, we walked away from it. And so we'll come up with all kinds of ways to get ourselves healthy as we remain completely broken and don't take advantage of what God's given. So we'll, we'll look at that. We'll see those things. So that there's a list of the key historical moments. Would there be other important things that happened during these things? Yes, there are other important things. But that's what God gave us to build right here and right now. Now, I'm going to be treating, I just used the word, I'm going to be treating Genesis as history. It is giving us historical data, historical events to all that it speaks to. I Yes, I do believe God created the world in six days. Six 24-hour days. You know what about the first three when there wasn't a sun? We'll get to that. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, I, I believe in six days of creation. I believe God created Adam and Eve. He created a man and a woman distinct, a unique event, not the end of a process that he kicked off. I'll try to show evolution, and I'm not really getting This sermon series will not as much be about the science of Big Bang and evolution and, and creation. Go to Answers in Genesis. It's phenomenal. Articles, books, so many things you can get help on understanding of the science of that. But folks, God did not kick off evolution. Evolution is a process of dying. God didn't say, here's evolution, and then declare it good. He said, here's a man and a woman, and that's very good. So that's not the end process of evolution. Now, I want you to understand something. Nothing I've just said in any way contradicts science. So I, that's not what I read or heard. <laughs> I mean, like, don't all science, doesn't it all kind of contradict what's in Genesis? No, science does not. Scientists do. And you know, right now, and by the way, science is not our enemy. The Bible doesn't tell me how to fix a broken leg. The Bible doesn't tell me how to handle cancer. The Bible doesn't tell me how to put a man on the moon. The Bible doesn't tell me how to do a lot of things. So science is not our enemy, but we need to understand how science works. Because what we tend to believe is they're just dealing with facts. No, they're dealing with facts that they have an agenda with. We, we all have it. Nobody looks at things without looking through a lens, without having an agenda. We all do that. And scientists are the same way. They want to look at a world where there is no God. That, that's their operating principle. They can't prove it. No science says that, but that's where they're starting. So they look at all the evidence with the confidence, with the belief that there's no God and that nothing put something here. Actually, nothing put everything here. I actually think that takes a little more faith than what I believe. Now, I can't any more than the scientists. When I say I can't prove there's a God, not in the laboratory, not, not like that, not this hard evidence, but I can look at the evidence. The Bible tells me how to look at the evidence and see God in all of it. So I take a step of faith. They take a step of faith. And then we go and look at the evidence. Evidence does not deny creation. Evidence does not deny that a man and a woman were created in a distinct moment and event. So that, that's, I don't think that comes as a shock to anybody in here. I hope not. At least that I'm saying it. 
But that's how we'll be kind of approaching this as we move forward. Now, if you've been around here much, you know when I start a new book, the first sermon is not, okay, let's turn to chapter 1, verse 1. We'll get to that next week. What we're doing today is kind of getting an, uh, an introduction. We're getting a context. We're, we're, getting, we're doing a high flyover and getting a feel for what we're holding in our hands when we look at, when we open Genesis. So where is Genesis in the Bible other than the first book? Where, where does it fit in the context of the Bible? Well, Genesis is a part of five books called the Pentateuch. Penta means five Tuch means uh, scrolls or books. The Pentateuch, often referred to uh, in theological writing and says for, for millennia, uh, we refer to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. These five books are profound. They are the foundation upon which everything else in the Bible is built. Obviously, it's the foundation of the Jewish faith, but it is also the foundation of the Christian faith. Every single verse... Everything we see in the New Testament draws a direct line back to the Pentateuch, back to these first five books. So what do we have? Now, I'm I'm kind of, we're starting way up here and just going to start moving down, okay? So what do we have in these first five books? Well, Exodus through Deuteronomy is giving us a religion. That's what we would refer to it today. The Bible might say giving us a faith. We call it the Jewish faith. Okay, so we've got that in Exodus through Deuteronomy. But as we step back and look at this faith, we say, well, but where did this come from? Okay, what what came before that faith, that the development of that religion? Well, then that's where Genesis gets plugged in. Genesis gives us the beginnings, the starting point, the foundation. We believe that that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these five books were written by Moses. Y'all are on it. Why don't you just come on up here? You finish. <laughs> written by Moses. Moses has been the, the, the author uh, or perceived as the author of these five books for millennia. Now, there are some who will, not, who will say that Moses did not write these five books. I think this is important to address here. I would refer to that as a liberal theology. Obviously, that's not a comment on politics. What, what makes a liberal theologian a liberal theologian? Would you believe it's not, you know, well, we disagree about this, or they think this and we think that? comes down to one issue, the authority of God's Word. When you and I open our Bible, are we reading what God said? I, I believe for the most part, if you go to this church, you believe, we believe this is the holy word of God, the authoritative word of God. God inspired. Now, what does God inspired means? God didn't give dictation, okay? Isaiah, Matthew, Luke, they weren't right. Hey, could you say that last line again? I missed that. That, that, That's not what they were doing. There, there is a freedom of communication. It is very much a book by people, by men. Their experiences, their personality, their writing style, that all comes through. Here's what inspiration is. As it comes through their pen and lands on the page, it's God's word. Not just God's idea. The word on the page is God's word. The phrase is God's phrase. The sentence is God's sentence. It's not just an idea. 
Every bit of it is God's word. So the more liberal theologian wants to attack that authority. And one of the ways they do that is by removing the people that we know wrote these books. So they'll say, Matthew didn't write Matthew. Luke didn't write Luke. Paul didn't write Romans. Moses didn't write these first five books. Again, what's the evidence that made them say, hey, gosh, there's no Look, at there's no way Moses wrote this. I mean, here it is, very clear. What, what was it they were looking at that had to come to the conclusion, we've got to find out who really wrote this? There is none. A little bit like the scientist, I put on a set of glasses, this is the way I want to see it. I don't want to see this as God's book. I want to see it as a book written by people that I can pick and choose. I can be inspired by some stories, dismiss some others, Right? I read it, it makes me a little nicer person. I try to be kind today. I was inspired by that psalm. But don't like this command. Don't think that really fits well today. And then that's where you see all the differences. It all begins with how they look at God's word. But there's nothing in those five books that demands we see somebody other than Moses. What they usually will say is there's a multitude of writers and editors in these first five books. You know, there was an original group of people. They started scratching out ideas. And, and then, you know, Judaism grew and it evolved. And as the religion evolved, well, then we got to come back and get the writings up to date with who and what we are today. And so they take out some things, add some things, and it would be written by multiple people over centuries. But when you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, it doesn't read like it's been written by multiple people. The internal evidence is great. It reads like it's been written by one person. There's a common grammar, a common vocabulary, common style. You know, we have words we use today in the 2000s that we didn't use in the 1900s, right? In some words, it's not just that we have new words. We have some words that have entirely different meanings today than they would have had in the 1900s or the 1800s. Well, guess what? That was true when Moses was writing also. And if you have a multitude of writers spread out over a long time, guess what you're going to see? New vocabulary sneak in. A new style sneak in. And that's just not there. The evidence is real strong. You know, I said a moment ago, millennia. People have believed that Moses wrote these. Now, when I say millennia, and that's a big word, isn't it? That's a lot of time. Don't think about the recent, you know, the the millennia next to us. Think about the part of that millennia that was next to Moses. You know, folks, there was a point where Moses died. But there was a lot of people there when Moses died. And now fast forward 80 years. There's a person that's 92, I was 12 years old when Moses walked on this earth. I I saw what he did. I knew what we were all talking about. I knew about these, these writings. Generally speaking, we don't like lies. And so in the beginning of that millennia, the beginning of people believing Moses wrote these, hey, I was there. That's not true. I know the person who wrote, we all knew the person who wrote that or contributed to that. People are going to jump up and say, "Uh uh-uh, because that's what we do. We don't like to see lies flourish. Guess what? Everybody jumped up and said Moses wrote this, and everybody agreed, including including the people closest to that historical time period. So what what do we have in these five books? Genesis gives us the beginnings. Exodus gives us the people. Leviticus gives us the moral code of God for those people. Numbers gives us what happens when you wander away. 
from God, when you wander away from his moral code. And Deuteronomy reintroduces the moral code to a regathered people ready to enter the promised land. Reads like one story. Now, I just talked about inspiration. Genesis is kind of interesting. I think it's different than a lot of the rest of the books of the Bible in that how God gave that to Moses. Because Moses lived in the 15th century. Creation did not happen in the 15th century. Abraham did not walk up Mount Moriah with Isaac in the 15th century. That all happened way before Moses. I say that when Isaiah wrote Isaiah, he was there for that. He was watching. When Moses wrote Exodus through Deuteronomy, he was there for that. He was an eyewitness of these things, the the giver of that speech or whatever it might be. But he wasn't there for any of Genesis. That's unique for the rest of the Bible writings, the rest of the writers. So you wonder, how did Moses get that information? I actually think maybe on Genesis, it was maybe a little closer to dictation. <laughs> God says, you sit down, get a pen, you're going to have to write all, you're not, you didn't see any of this, I'm just going to have to give you this. I'm going to have to tell you it happened. And I started thinking, are there other places where there's dictation? Well, yeah. With Moses, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. So we know there's a few places where what it means to be the inspired word of God is they just sit down and took dictation. I think probably on Genesis that was the case because it all happened well before Moses. So we, we've got an author, but what about a, a time and a setting? So look at this up here. I got this from uh, Wilkinson and Boa in uh, their commentary, Talk Through the Bible. I, I like the quick summary that they have. Chapters 1 through 11 is it takes place, the setting, in the Fertile Crescent, sometimes called the Cradle of Civilization. That's North Africa, kind of going up on the east side of the Mediterranean, what we would then call Middle East. So North Africa, Middle East, that's called the Fertile Crescent. The timing of that, of what's taking place in those chapters, would be 4,000. Now, obviously, I believe in an early earth, uh, or young earth, but there's parts in Genesis, first of all, where we really don't know how much time was taking place in there. So 4,000, and that's why I put the word earlier, it might be 6,000, it might be 10,000, I don't think it'd be much more than that, but roughly around that time, 22090 is the events of Genesis 1 to 11. Now when we get to Genesis 12 and that 2090 day, now we're able to link up not only what the Bible says, but with other historical documents and the dating of other things. And we can say, hey, wow, Abraham's life, 2090. We know that's when that was. So 2090 to 1897 is the, the dating uh, for Genesis 12 to 36. That takes place in, in what we would know and call Israel. And then 37 to 50, would be that's the life of Joseph, takes place in the 1800s B.C. We are, we are tracking on B.C., right? 1800s B.C., and that took place in Genesis. Let me show you one other thing that will have absolutely no encouragement in your life this week at all. I understand today's information sounds a little bit like a lecture, uh, you, you know, won't necessarily help you wake up tomorrow, and this would be a big part of that. But I want you to understand Genesis and the whole of it. Remember, this is a tag that goes on front of a whole bunch of sermons. So Moses has a clear kind of way of, of uh, shaping Genesis, 
And it's with the word, the generations of. Now, you don't see that in the opening sentence. The opening sentence in Genesis 1-1 says what? In the beginning. That's right. So that's what we see in Genesis 1-1. But when we turn to 2-4-5-1-6-9-10-1, on down through the less there, you clearly have these sections where it's the generations of. Of. That's kind of the marker that he uses to move through Genesis. And we've got a theme. You know what the theme of Genesis is? Blessing. Blessing. I think it's super important to know that. God is a God who blesses. God is a God who wants to bless. Who wants to bless you. Now here's why that's important. Because we might be reading along in Genesis and go, gosh, why did God put the tree there? It seemed like all this mess wouldn't have happened if that tree wasn't there. Why'd God put the tree there? Why'd he kick them out of the garden? Why was there a flood? Gosh, that seemed to be overkill. That was a pun. That's supposed to be... Get it overkill because the whole earth died. Okay. See, we might ask questions like, why, why did that happen? Do you know some of the, do, as we walk through this, as you read this, hey, there may be some things you feel like you get an answer that resolves and, ans- and, and takes care of that question. Maybe some other things. I don't know if I quite see the answer, if I quite, quite understand why. But when I understand the theme is to bless then I realize blessing is in every answer. Whatever's going on here, whatever is happening here, God's ultimate goal is that an individual and that a people have blessing land on them. God wants to bless. So when you and I move toward God and we move toward his way, we're moving toward blessing. When we move away from God and we move away from his way, we're moving toward a curse Now, curse is, that's a strong word, isn't it? When I say curse, I'm not saying, boy, God's going to get you if you don't do it his way. Wham, there comes the lightning bolt. that's, That's not what I mean by curse. If you use something outside of the way it's designed, you're going to break it. You know, I, I'm, I'm low on gas today. I already know that when I pulled into the parking lot, I'm going to have to get some kind of fuel to get home. Uh, but I don't want to go to the gas station and I'm going to Publix anyway. I'm going to stop by the grocery store. So I'm going to, I'm going to fill up my, my truck with milk. Okay. And I'm probably going to experience a curse. And that's not because the people at Nissan now hate me. It's not because the people at Nissan said, oh, we're going to show you. No, it, people at Nissan said, we designed this and it doesn't work with milk. You want to put milk in it, that's your decision, but it ain't going to work. Okay? That, that, folks, that's why God's given us Genesis, why God's given us the Bible. He's the designer. He knows how everything works. If you move away from God and his way, you break things. It's, it's just as simple as that. Move toward God in his way, and you experience the designer's intent. You experience the, the blessing. Okay, let's wrap up here. Uh, oh, gosh, don't you hate when a speaker says we're almost done and go on like 20 more minutes? I'm not going on 20 more minutes, not even 10, okay? Finish with key verses and a key chapter. Key verse, okay? Now, this is somewhat of a subjective statement. Somebody else might come in and say, no, this is the key verse, okay? I'm going with two. Chapter 3, verse 15. Now, it might be kind of 
awkward to just pull that one sentence out because when you look at what's going on in chapter 3, there's been a fall and God is now speaking to each person involved in the fall and letting them know the consequence. This is God just speaking to one of them. Why am I calling this a key verse and not one of the others around it? Because the rest of the Bible is about this verse taking place. This verse getting fulfilled. In this verse, God is speaking to the serpent, who is the embodiment of Satan. And, he, and he's talking about the enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, between your seed and hers. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know, folks, when I read that, I would not see Jesus and the cross. But since I have seen Jesus in the cross, I can come back to this and go, oh, that's what God was saying right there. This verse is called the Proto-Evangelon, the first announcement of good news. And he says to the serpent, hey, you're going to get away. You're going to strike a blow. But ultimately, from Eve's seed will be one who crushes, one who bruises your head. At the cross, did Satan strike a blow? Yeah, Jesus died. But at the end of it, who struck the greater blow? Jesus. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He conquered the grave. He rose again. So this is the first announcement of that. And by the way, look at the beauty of this. Even in judgment, look what God is saying. Eve has just monumentally failed. Monumental failure. And in the midst of that, God says, hey, Eve... Through you, from your seed, will come one who will fix all this. I mean, he holds out hope. Not just hold out hope, but says, through you. Through you came all this mess, along with Adam. But through you will come an end. Man, don't you know Eve heard that? And, and you know, came the first birth and the second birth, Cain and Abel. And, hey, maybe... May, Maybe this is what God's talking about. Maybe right here, right now, one of them is going to be the one who's going to crush the head of that serpent. Then Cain killed Abel. That seemed to wipe out both of those options. But there was more children and there was more grandchildren. I'll tell you something I believe with all my heart. Eve never stopped looking with each birth. And boy, don't you know, with each birth, it got further and further away, further and further expanded out, further and further down the years. But with each birth, she looked and she wondered, will, will that be the one? Will, will that be the one? So the rest of the Bible is really the fulfillment of this verse right here. Now, God has started, woo, way up here. The answer is coming through the seed of Eve. Okay, well, that's all of us. So God narrows, what's God do next? He narrows it down a little bit. And that get, and then gives us a next key verse, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. I've got just verse 2 up here. Now the Lord said to Abram, I will make a great nation of you and I will bless you and make your name great. Look at this. So that, so that you will be a blessing. There's a purpose in God blessing so that you will be a blessing. Now, this, these three verses, I'm just showing you verse 2. These three verses, that's God calling Abraham. This is going to be the establishment of what we today know as the Jewish faith. Okay? So, and then chapter 15 
is going to be, I'm going to call a key chapter. It takes 12, 1 to 3 and really elaborates on it. Gives a whole lot more detail about, about the people, the land, the promises, all, all of that. The key I want us to see here, though, is that so that. You know, whether it's Jew or Christian, we've been blessed of God, haven't we? Man, I'm, I'm a receiver of God's word. I'm a receiver of the Messiah. I'm, I'm a receiver of things he's provided for in my life from, from day to day to day. You know, a big mistake the Jews make, and it's a big mistake that we can make, is we, we sit there like a cul-de-sac. Hey, God, back up that truck of blessings. Beep, beep, beep. Just dump them all right here. Folks, we're not supposed to be a cul-de-sac for God's blessings. We're supposed to be a conduit. Whatever comes into me is to go right back out to somebody else, if not lots of somebody else's. Man, when you give thanks to God for what he's given, what he's provided, for what he's done, are you also, and God, I pray that what's happened to me, use me so that somebody else knows and experiences this very thing. So that... You will be a blessing. One more thing, wrapping up. Wilkinson and Bo, I referred to them a second ago in their, in their uh, commentary, uh, talk through the Bible. I, I love the way they just kind of wrap up and give you a big picture of Genesis. What is Genesis? It's four big events. Creation, fall, flood, nations. It is four big people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that's what we're going to start diving into uh, next week, uh, is walking through each of those. What I'm going to do with the four big people, and this will be more in the back half of the series, is we're going to look at their lives. And think of these folks. These are four people that just like God showed us creation, here's the lives of four people that he's showing us. These are foundation lives. God is using their lives to give us foundational principles. So we'll study those four lives and try to get one, two messages out of each of them, some principles for living. Over half of the series, though, is going to be in chapters 1 through 11, those, those four big events. This is the only series I've started where I'm not really sure how many messages. When I say only, only ever in my whole preaching life. I always knowing, okay, I'm, this is sermon number one, and it's going to be this many. And maybe every now and then I've added one, or I've had to take one out. This one, I, I, I mean, I've got 25 messages. There's quite a few of them. Like, like Joseph. That's Genesis 37 to 50. I have one message planned for that. Y'all have almost no chance of hearing that in one message. You know how long I preach anyway. Can you imagine me covering 13 chapters? Bring a sack lunch. You know, so there's, there's a whole lot of these messages where I'm going, I don't know why I'm planning it. I mean, I want to finish it at some point, right, before Jesus returns. Uh, I'm planning on finishing before Thanksgiving. I'm already feeling like it might, we might be celebrating Christmas Eve by looking at the last chapter of Genesis. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I told Bob, Bob Royce writes a lot of lessons for our life groups that do sermon-based. You know, they're, they're going right along with me and what we study in life group. I've already, I've already, good, good luck trying to figure out where I am. I gave him an outline. I said, there's like a 10% chance I'm going to follow this. So, and I told him this morning, I've, I've already added one to the first three weeks. So, not a good sign of where we're going here. Hey, folks, you know, I said this is a history book. You know, when you hear the word history, we immediately think people, 
What have people done? The, the, the big events of people, the big people. This, this is a history of God. It's a history of God's creation. And it's a history of God's redemption. You see, God made you. And he wants to keep you. He wants to keep you in a place of blessing. That's what Genesis is about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Haven't even opened up the Bible yet. Haven't even turned to Genesis 1. And God, I I pray there's a whole lot of people joining me right now and saying thank you. Thank you for what you have given us in Genesis Father, I want to know your blessing. I want to be a conduit for that blessing. I want to know your design and how to walk in it. Lord, I I pray that you are going to bless the study of Genesis in the life of this church, in the life of this family. I pray, God, you're going to bless this study in each of our individual lives. Lord, I pray we're going to see the beauty of, the power, the wisdom, the creativity that is you in these foundations. God, I pray that the the study of Genesis is going to have a great impact on our love for you, our faith in you, and our desire to obey and walk with you. We ask for your help in all this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.